Hello, and welcome to Girls Gone Canon Reads, A Song of Ice and Fire, episode 201, Aria 4 in A Clash of Kings, featuring Ara. I am one of your hosts, Chloe. And I am another one of your hosts, Eliana. And yes, are you ready for Ara? Ara ready? Oh my gosh. That was incredible. Are you ready, kids? <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm oh so Captain! Oh no. I can't, I hear, can't hear you. you. I, I can't. Okay, hello. Oh, I'm just kidding. I've been living my whole life and it hasn't been my whole life because it's only been since the Aria POVs to say that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, it's been what? How many episodes is this now? Like, I don't know. 10 something, 12 something, wherever we are in Aria, eight, I don't know, some range of episodes. It hasn't gotten old really yet. I know I joke about it, but it brings Eliana joy. It brings Ara joy, who has blessed us with her presence. Ara, this is great to have you on because the last time you came on, it was for the hit primer series for House of the Dragons that critics are saying really did happen and was amazing, intelligent, and successful. Unleash the D on Girls Gone Canon. Uh, you were on for our second episode. Incredible. And actually, it was like a very fun couple hours of just shit posting IRL with you. And I really am glad that we finally got you on for a POV episode. I'm so excited to be back and to be talking about my favorite child, like murderer. <laughs> for context, he's my only favorite childhood murderer. So, like, there's that. Also, quick little disclaimer. Levels? I don't usually sound like this. If you guys have heard me on other things before, like my YouTube channel, I hate zebra, all one word, or on Direwolf City, I usually sound a lot clearer. Allergies are kicking my butt, but you know what? We're here. We're going to make magic. And I took some oh. Benadryl, so it's going to kick in a little bit. So I make it a little loopy. And who knows where we're going to go? It's going to get weird. Who knows where we're going to go? She's going to get those wolf dreams in the middle of this episode. I am. I'm so excited. <laughs> should we all have popped a Benny for this? Yeah, should Did I? Did we pop? fuck up? Should I go? I, think, I, I pop think the popping one, Bennies I mean. is a different Ben, is it not? No, is it's it this Ben. One? This is a much different Ben. I don't pop those Bennies. I just pop this Benny. <laughs> Benadryl. I only pop little pink Bennies, you know I, what I'm saying? Again, little. I love the grape flavor. Yes, if you want to hear Ara's voice as it normally is you can find her on her channel i eat zebra on youtube all one word and direwolf city you will still get though i believe the same quality thought that she brings to her channel here today as well oh yeah hell yeah and i have to say that if you want more Ara content after this, I know of a couple other places to get them. Ooh, right? Ara and exclusive. I covered Euphoria. Yes, we did. We covered Euphoria on her YouTube channel, season two. Every episode, it was wild. Eliana guested on one. She was there. There was so was much there? glitter in rhinestones. There was so much glitter. Eliana came on you, for a bit. No, you both told yeah. me that y'all were going to dress up the way that the way that Rue's character was in that episode and i did not put on any makeup or very little for that makeup or makeup we worked episode. that whole season i need you to know how exhausting it was no, like you yes. were, and i were putting you put like on so eyelashes much makeup on for that one i was like every what night. the fuck I've every betrayed. night though we did this every monday night me and pinterest <sighs> best buddies because i was like i'm gonna hook my face up like maddie perez and yeah i tried I was Snatched. betrayed. <laughs> Let me just it was say. hard. 
It was like, it was actually physically exhausting though to be putting that kind of makeup on every Monday night, like for two hours, like throwing eyelashes in my fucking face, throwing like all this eyeliner, glitter, scrubbing it off at the end of the oh night. Also, God, yeah. oftentimes we were drinking during these streams yeah. because it's euphoria because you have to be to um accept the, chop, the very pop the benny. yeah you actually yeah you actually have to be having a very high level iq to watch sam levinson works you know which ara and i really appreciate and understand since we are two of the 12 people in the world that probably watched the idol uh two of those 12 people that's us we are in the top percentile of the idol fans you know yeah, it went a little off the rails a bit, but it kind of started off the rails. Yeah. And it, I kind of think of it like, you know, how Ryan Murphy started off American Horror Story really well. Yeah. And then it's like, Bleh! that's how I feel about Sam Levinson's work. Oh, yep. interesting. Okay. Mm-hmm. okay. Absolutely. I, uh, and, and you know, the people are well, asking. And then after it started a little Bleh! along uh-huh. the way. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the people are saying, you know, the, the critics, the people are all wanting the idle coverage from me and Ara. I mean, it's out there. People are saying it. So you never know. That might be something we get to cover in full someday. I'll be honest. I, I didn't know the people were asking for this. No, it's just me. Okay. <laughs> I'm the people. I'm people. <laughs> it's just Chloe. But I, I can I can also be asking for it, too, if that is what people want. If that if I, I can be people, too. Uh, thanks, Eliana. If that will support Chloe's dreams. <laughs> Eliana's the number one homegirl. She supports all my bad dreams and my good dreams. <laughs> I love that for you. Uh, no, we did uh, Righteous Gemstones, too, with the whole gang over at Dire Wolf City, which was a blast. I loved yeah. covering Righteous Gemstones, and yeah, we have to get back together. We finally get to have you over to our house, because you have always so graciously invited us in at your place. It was time. Honestly, it looks nice in here. Ooh, I'm welcome mm. inside. It's very inviting. <laughs> I feel like there's some, wow. you know, nice warm tea, some fire in the hearth going, you know, a little, it's cozy. It's like a cabin. Cozy cabin. I love that. I wish it really was. I wish we literally were just talking in a cabin in front of a fireplace about Aria Four together. That could be cute. We could we could plan that trip. Yeah, it should happen. We should do that. And do story time. And story time. Spiced wine. Ooh. Ara, I gotta know. Why do you love Aria? Slash, why did you choose this chapter? Slash, Aria in general. I mean, I know a long time ago we asked you, who do you want to come on for? And this was a long time to wait for the Arya chapters. So tell us about this chapter in Arya and your feelings, please. So I love Arya. She's my second favorite character. My first is Jamie because it's mm. Jamie. I mean, so Arya for me reminds me, I didn't kill anybody, but reminds me of myself as a child a bit. Like huh. her personality, the way she behaves or like the way she rejects certain like gender norms that are placed on her i was very much like that when i was younger like if i had the option to be riding around on a horse in sword fighting versus sewing all day in a room i'm, I'm with aria i'm going outside to play that sounds like a really good time to me so for me i've just always seen myself in her character and i just like watching her journey because i feel like we see so much of not even just westeros but the world that george has built through Arya's travels. Like, she's probably mm. next to, like, Tyrion and maybe Danny, one of the most well-traveled characters, in my opinion. She goes all over the place, which I really enjoy. This chapter in particular for me, I like magic, and I think there's a lot of magical hints in this chapter. 
Not only that, there's some nice little parallels to her siblings I find really interesting that even though they are separate and going on different journeys, there's a lot that ties in their journeys and it's reflected in this chapter. Like I see a little bit of everybody Mm. that she's been separated from in this chapter. Also, uh, spoiler alert, we're going to get to it, but like hot pie, (laughs) best war cry of all time. Like, are we serious? Uh, Why wouldn't I pick this chapter? It's such a cute little passage in general. Like, Winterfell! I just love that. I love that little passage. You're so right. Thank you for sharing with us why you chose Arya and this chapter. That's a good point. Like, I hadn't really thought about it, but besides the fact that I think, yeah, Tyrion and Daenerys and Arya have, like, the most chapters of all the characters, you're right, they're also probably the ones who geographically get around the most as well. Yeah, I love that between Catelyn and Arya alone, too, you get, like, you know the Riverlands and everything around it now. Mm-hmm. Really, uh, especially, I love that, like, Kat's getting the bigger locations while Arya's on the ground. Yeah. And you're seeing kind of those smaller in between. You could actually detail out a map between those two chapters perfectly, I bet. It's also interesting, because the POV, the other, Arya's other POV that she really likes is Jamie, who's very, very much in the Riverlands as his story. Maybe you're just very into the Riverlands. I, I really am, and I'll get to that a little bit later when I hmm. go on a sidebar tangent when we get to it. Also, Cersei. I really like Cersei, but that's because she's like half of Jamie, but like the crazy half. <laughs> yeah. I love Cersei. She's so- I'm excited for those someday. For, yeah, very reality TV. Oh my god, Real Housewives of Westeros say IRL. That. Like, yes. Real Housewives yeah. of the Red Keep. <laughs> Well, we're so excited to have you on for this chapter. We're going to get into the chapter shortly, but first up, we got to get through a quick amount of housekeeping. A shout out to a new podcast from some friends. Our friend Lo and Virginie have started a podcast called Ragman's Harbor that is going to be viewing and comparing A Song of Ice and Fire through kind of almost like a folklore lens, right? They're coming at it from different stories from different cultures and locations not just, you know, some of the Arthurian legends or mythologies. You know, they're going to go a little deeper. Lo talks a lot about some of, you know, Swedish folklore and culture, and I think that's going to be really interesting to come into that. A lot of that different, I don't know, different touch to Aeswaf. I'm kind of excited to listen into those episodes. Part of what they've been saying is they really want to analyze the story also from just in general, like a non-Anglo lens, right? Both of them are... Lowe's primary language is Swedish, Virginie is a native French speaker, so... Yeah, I think they have such a great perspective to bring to the story, so I look forward to their first couple of episodes and seeing what they bring out. Yeah. I'm excited. Yeah, same. And both of them always have, like, really great perspectives and analysis in general. Someone else that we referenced last episode as well is our friend Shiloh Carroll, who joined us for a different episode about someone who's also kind of swashbuckling and bucking gender norms. And I guess not swashbuckling, that's more of a pirate thing, but whatever. Mm-hmm. Appeared on Asloff episode 143, A Feast for Crows, Brienne 1. Yeah, Shiloh has also written some fucking spectacular shit, including not shit, but books and like essays and some fucking, I don't know, fantastic stuff. You've got to check out their blog, but also... They are the author of Medievalism in A Song of Ice and Fire and Game of Thrones, and she's coming out with another one, The Medieval Worlds of Neil Gaiman, which I'm really excited about. I, I'm, you know, I'm kind of somewhat into Gaiman. I haven't read all Gaiman pieces, but I've read a handful now, and I'm excited just to see what she can pick out. After having read Norse mythology recently uh. during Brand chapters, I kind of read it around that time, so 
I'm interested to see what else is in there. This book is coming out the 27th of September, I believe, but they don't yet have international release. However, Amazon UK magically has copies, it looks like, for pre-order, so check that out if you're on there. Hit that up. Enjoy. And you'll be hearing more, for sure. We have some plans with Shiloh Carroll and this medievalism that she tends to speak on. Yeah. Exclusive scoop about the Amazon UK drop <laughs> here on Girls it Gone is. Canon. It was an exclusive it scoop, was. and I dug for that scoop in Discord DMs, so you never know what scoops could come your way. XOXO. Gossip Girls Gone Canon. <sighs> R.I.P. R.I.P. <laughs> Sorry. Okay. I miss it. Don't remind me. I miss that bad show. <laughs> speaking of good shows, not bad shows, not masterpiece bad shows. Uh, speaking of good shows, later this month, we will be coming back that last weekend of the month, that Friday, with Sailor Moon Crystal Season 3 Part 2, the second part, since we chose to split up that last episode to give it a great full effect on Magical Girls Gone Canon. So tune in for that episode covering that back half of the season. And then finally, of course, we have our Patreon episode this month, September, which is available to patrons in the Stranger Tier and above, $5 and up. This month we are doing George R. R. Martin's short story, Bitter Blooms. Chosen on the name alone, but I'm yes. starting to think that it was it's fun. <laughs> you know, I think it fits into some of our conversation. I think it accidentally works, so Butter I bumps. look forward to it. Butter Bumps the book. <laughs> Butter Bumps, Bitter Blooms, interesting. Uh-huh. Man, I love butter bumps. there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, bonus episodes, patreon.com slash girlsgonecanon for those stranger tier and above patrons. But there are other tiers. If you are aching to spend a little bit of that hard-earned cash and support us in the thunder tier and above, 10 bucks and up, you get access to our Discord. It's a private Discord server, and it's basically lifetime access as long as you aren't a dick. Um, and we do lots of stuff there, like brunch slash happy hour. This month's brunch slash happy hour, where you get together with other friends and fans from the online community and just talk about whatever. Sometimes you watch YouTube videos together of people in hamster wheels and cats in hamster wheels. It's a whole time. But this month's will be September 23rd, a Saturday, I believe, at 3 p.m. ET. We'd love to have you. Again, if you have any... Someone recently also, I think, tweeted uh, some some photos of their animal, which is very exciting. If you have any animals or things that you would like to send, we appreciate emails and tweets about your animals, but also about the series. We, uh, again, are going to come back to a few because we did get emails and tweets and notes. We'll cover that a little next week. Right now, we're going to go to our lightning round. Yeah. Ara, you are no stranger to Girls Gone Canon. You have heard of the lightning round. You have experienced its majesty once in a while in listening to it. But now it is time to become a part of the lightning round. So for those at home who do not know what the lightning round is, it is where we cover what has happened between Arya 3 and Arya 4, specifically today, chapter by chapter, beginning with Davos 1. Davos 1. While the seven burn, Davos has reason to doubt that his king is the chosen one, Azor Ahai. <laughs> Theon 1. Part 1 of Theon's homecoming is full of disappointment. Daenerys 1. Beneath the Red Comet, Jorah, Lord of the Friendzone and Warden of the Creepy Hairy Old Men's Society, tells Danny, a 13-year-old, that she reminds him of his second wife. <laughs> the Blood Riders return with a new destination, Karth. 
John too. At White Tree, Jayor and John speculate how Benjin would feel about the abandoned villages. And that brings us here to A Clash of Kings, Arya 4. Team Arya finds shelter in an abandoned village. The Lannister men-at-arms destroy that peace. God, they do. It sucks, and we're gonna get to that. But first, we open the chapter with a dead man in the water. Tiny fish eating at his face. Lamy announces, I knew I tasted dead bodies in the water. Mmm, delicious. Know it all. Can I just say he was right? Yeah. And those other Lamy's kind of an idea guy. Maybe not a plan guy, but he's definitely an idea guy. (laughs) (laughs) You know, you calling that out now makes me realize, why does Lamy know what dead bodies in the water taste like? He's probably had to get water where there's been dead bodies upstream. That's sad. It is very sad. He's experienced that hardship. Yeah. I like that you called out that he's an ideas guy, you know, because one time Hannah from Game of Owns told me that I'm a better manager than a doer. And she's like, you should go manage. Interesting. Um, and I, I think of that, like, maybe I'm a better ideas guy, you know? Yeah. It's like I can good workshop the idea, but the actual execution of it, we'll leave that to other people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, unfortunately for Lamy, there is some execution of all of that this chapter for unfortunately. him. <laughs> womp womp. Yeah. Death. Is Amory Lorch a doer? Anyways, so. <laughs> he sure <laughs> He's is. the worst doer. Very into execution. Um, <laughs> of so control. maybe it's great that Lobby is an ideas guy, but I think you're both a, an ideas and a doer person, but not in an Amory Lorch sort of way, like in a, in a Yorin sort of way, you know? Thanks. Yeah. So. I, I really like this language in here. They they call out the body as being like shapeless and sodded and bloated. And, you know, I think it plays with this idea of, of course, the, the soldiers kind of just being seen as bodies. They're shapeless and personless by the war and how it strips them of those identities and just uses them as meat, fodder. But it also, you know, there's also parts of it that tell you, hey, this is what we can expect to happen to bodies that are in the river. Like, for example, Catelyn Stark's body later on when they throw her in there. But also it's kind of, I think, you know, a reminder of death as this, like, equalizer, right? That strips people of their identity. It transforms them. And then also how the story is playing on that idea with having people who do try to hold on to who they are when they're reanimated or what happens to people's memories of someone who has passed away, right? Like, they're no longer there to be themselves the memories and the identity of who this person is their legacy of the person get reshaped right we're told one version of Rhaegar by Robert we're told another by Ned another by Barristan or even like you know what's happening to Ned's memory as well where people are like yeah he was a traitor and it's like no he was not he was saving the kids I like that you've kind of likened it to like shapeless dead people losing their identity because death strips you of everything you had and then, uh, and especially there, like with the lies that people are then able to put on the deaths and like a blank slate that people are able to kind of propagate what they want people to believe, like Catalan's body, etc. All the stories that get passed around of what happened to her. But then also in a way that like death strips you of your identity and you become no one when you die. Uh, and no that one. great idea of no one. Yeah, uh-huh, Ooh. uh-huh. Uh, and how it comes back around for Arya, right? That it kind of likens that experience to her dying in a way, mm. right? That she almost, what she goes through is dying, and she, like, learns that. It's interesting. She learns death. She masters death. Honestly, when you said master of death, I was like, oh, she collected all three Deathly Hollows. 
(laughs) vanquisher of death yeah even like that ego death right losing kind of like that self-identity and we see her struggling with that throughout the story because i mean this all happens at a very young age right where they're like you have to be someone else now so yeah oh Yorin commands them to strip anything of worth from the man, going back to that same I- idea, and collects a guard to wait while Woth and Garen head downstream to find a good place for them to try to ford and cross. They find a leather purse with four coppers and a blonde curl of hair and a red ribbon. I actually love that little detail about the, the curl of hair, because looting the body, and especially when it's just practical su- stuff and supplies, it becomes easy to kind of dehumanize them. It's all just the stuff that any person could have. I've been watching my partner playing Baldur's Gate 3. There's a lot of looting of bodies and, you know, it's just like you you just go on with the storyline, right? But the hair being on the body, that's not a leather purse or whatever. Mm. It's not about survival. That was something that was emotional, right? It's the writing is re-injecting that personhood and reminding you that this was someone who loved someone else and a reminder of that survivor's loss, uh, even though, you know, this person gets a lot of characterization, even though Hagen's daughter still doesn't have a name, but whatever. That is my hill to die on. Also, it kind of is a testament to how, like, Arya definitely, through her journeys, it kind of reminds me of Egg in a way. Like, they get all these Ooh. connections to the small folk, if you will. When the big lords descend from upon high. I'm just kidding. That was a Lion King reference. But essentially, yeah, getting on the <laughs> crown level and, like, seeing these day-to-day people, like these faceless soldiers, for the most part, they're a part of these lords armies and they're just doing what they're told trying to feed their families and this person i like that it wasn't just somebody like you can tell that like you mentioned like this person had a family they had loved ones and i like that little touch yeah there's also that like wartime relic kind of feel right kind of romantic yeah not that war is romantic but it's a very romantic kind of era of like you know you you go off to war you take a lock of your sweetheart's hair because it was like a sacrifice that she cut a piece of her hair for you to keep while you couldn't be with her. And it reminds me of that, right? Of like that very intimate detail of this person's life that they know nothing about, just that they cared about someone who this hair belonged to. And it, it makes me think also at the same time, and coming back to what Aro was saying earlier of some of the hidden hints of magic, because while I don't think that necessarily is magic, oftentimes, like Davos's finger bones, for example, and that being a symbol of luck and him losing them, or um, coming to the Lord of Bones, which we just covered in Melisandre 1 a little bit ago, and how those important bones of people and people's, the essence of them, right, is important for being able to cast a different visual on your body. You have to be able to kind of use the other parts of people to disguise yourself and glamour yourself. It, it was interesting, it stuck out to me that uh, Ara used the term faceless soldiers, I was like, oh, okay, what an interesting turn of phrase. Um, when we think about especially Arya's storyline and and the facelessness mm. of that is kind of what the faceless men are, right? Like they gave up they're kind of just very specialized soldiers, if you think about it. And what you were saying about magic and hair, I was like initially when I was reading, I was like, Oh, interesting, someone could make a little doll out of that or whatever. Yeah, you know, that's like, true. Control someone, but why would they do that to this rando? Yeah, it's nothing well, I mean, there you go, Jacques's here. Maybe he could convince someone to go take that hair so he could, you know Ultimate weirdo cosplay. Yeah, he's real weird like that, but <laughs> Yeah. Interesting. That's very I, I think the hair sticks out like as such a great it could be any of that it could be in any. this chapter. It sticks out like a cowlick. 
<laughs> oh my gosh, what if that was that she was alpha alpha? Oh my god, she cut off her little cow like she was like one of the little Luhus, like Cindy Luhu. She cuts off her little like thing on the top. Oh, that makes me even sadder. Oh, oh sorry, <laughs> I'm over here cracking up. Like that's so no, funny. I'm just, it's because I'm she like betraying Cindy Luhu, giving this to her oh, sweetheart, true, true. and now he's in Aww. the water and Lamy's like I told you so like dang your sweetheart died to be a gotcha for Lamy it makes me kind of sad Oh, that is kind of sad ladies uh. settle down <laughs> damn in the meantime the soon to be men of the watch quote unquote have a mud pie fight Lamy, Tarber and Hot Pie all play Rorge curses them and he's like screaming that he wants to be unleashed but everyone ignores him Arya watches Kurz catch a fish with his bare hands, working to mimic his graceful moves and copy him and learn. It kind of reminds me of Imulan and the... Yes! <laughs> the I'll make a man out of you sequence, yeah. It's exactly kind of like that, because, you know, if you think... It, she's also masquerading with people, with recruits as a, as a man. So it's almost, it's pretty much exactly like that. So Arya is Mulan confirmed. Yeah. There's a line when she describes uh, Kurz's movement as quick as a snake. And I'm like, oh, that's literally from her mantra. She's like, oh, so that's what it looks like to be quick as a snake. But, oh, that's kind of funny because Doran Martell is not very fast moving. Anyways, so Arya thinks that the fish are easier to catch than the cats, which have no claws. And I was like, oh, that's kind of funny because later on, Arya slash Nymeria do catch a fish that is also a cat out of the river. Mm. A catfish. Yeah, a catfish. Catalan. Oh my god, Stark. are you saying the Nymeria catfish is them? Is that, if anyone's catfishing, technically it's Arya. If you really think about it, you yeah. know, she shows up with a yeah. different face all the time. Is that, is being a faceless man like just catfishing people all the time? Yes. Essentially it is, yeah. <laughs> Everyone's just definitively yes. It mm -hmm. is. That's, I mean, you asked a yes or no question. Yeah, that's to be true. Fair. That is true. Yeah. We're being very affirmative with the whole entire ordeal, me and Ara are. Mm -hmm. <laughs> At midday, the others return. They find a bridge burnt up downstream, but nothing else. Uh, smoke is surrounding them, northwest. Yorin thinks maybe we're on the right part of the river after all. He draws a miniature map in the mud, which again is just a circle, so everyone knows. Uh, remembering a whole, well, I mean the whole thing. They're just bloop, it's a circle. Oh. The god's eye, you know. Yorin remembers there's a holdfast nearby and that maybe they could follow the north to get there. He means to get there, possibly hire a boat, sell everything they have, jump aboard, and sail to Harrentown across the God's Eye to kind of not have to go around the entire death clock of Harrenhal and the God's Eye. He hopes to buy new mounts there or maybe even shelter with Lady Went at Harrenhal, who's a friend of the Watch. Well, structurally, I didn't realize yeah. this, but I get it now. We we uh, we always should know it was never going to work. Why else would they tell us the whole plan if it was going to work? They never tell you the whole plan <laughs> in stories when it works. No, I feel like he's like, you know, when villains go on their huge like little monologue when they have the hero <laughs> and then they ruin the moment for themselves. That's exactly what happened here. Yeah. If their plan did work, uh, Lady Went isn't at Heron Hall anymore, sir. Yeah, well, they'd be walking right into it. She Lady Went away. <laughs> Sorry. Man, Sorry. I'm so sick of you. <laughs> Do you see what I deal with? No, it was funny. Uh, I like it. Yeah, she's alright. It was punny. Ah, Thank pun you, intentionally. Yeah, they would be walking straight into the trap if they did that, into Harrenhal, and straight up like get captured and tortured and then probably killed. So, I mean, they could die here and run some of them, or they can die there. Hmm. How fun. That kind of sucks, right? And 
Of course, Arya, wrong place, wrong time. This happens to her all the time in these books. She's always just missing her family members as we see at the Red Wedding. And this also starts that mystery of like, where in the world is Lady Went, right? Which I still think she's the chick in A Feast for Crows that we see in Brienne's chapters on the road with a bunch of people surrounding her. But we don't know, right? Like gone, hiding, hurt. We don't actually know where the fuck she is. She went away. Yeah, that's where she went. Yeah. Have a nice trip. See you next Enjoy fall. your fall. Oh, I'll see you next fall. <laughs> Whoa. Uh, so you know how, like I said, I have ma- I like magic, right? I love magic. I think the Riverlands is one of the biggest hubs of magic in Westeros, mm. next to the Wall. Actually, I think it's a little bit more powerful than the Wall, and I'll explain why very briefly. As we know, we have the God's Eye. I have a lot of weirwoods. I'm one of those believers of the weirwood net. I think that is kind of where they draw. Any and all magic, I think, comes from that root system. Because even if they chop down the trees, the roots are still there. And from oh, what we've seen uh-huh. with Bran, like, they kind of learn how to see through, like, by touching the tree itself. But in my opinion, I just, again, I think the werewolves themselves and their roots is where magic essentially derives from in this area. Not in this area, but, like, in Westeros as a whole. And people just have their different ways of pulling from it. But in the Riverlands, especially during wartime, that magic is even more potent because all the blood's going into the roots. And as we know, the werewolves love blood. So as we'll see later in this chapter, Arya's, not even just in this chapter, but a little before that, Arya's warging and wolf dreams increase the more she is in the Riverlands or the closer she gets to the Riverlands. I've noticed the frequency of it. Also, Rob has been running, like, essentially destroying everybody. And from what we get from, like, secondhand accounts, everybody's like, oh, it's his wolf and he's controlling the wolf. And personally, I do think he is somehow powerful enough to warg into Grey Wind while still being able to, like, fight. And I think it's oh, because he's in the Riverlands. Like, all their powers just exponentially increase. And then, like, with... um. Thoros Amir, he couldn't really do much in King's Land and he gets to the Riverlands. All of a sudden, Beric Dondarrion's like a cat and has a bunch of lives. Mm. Mm. Interesting, yeah. The magic is stronger there, yeah. So I think the magic is very strong there. And not only that, that wolf connection is kind of like what saves them. Or if they listen yeah. to their wolves, it will keep them alive. Like, we'll see later in this chapter, Nymeria kind of gives Arya a signal to wake up, essentially. Yeah. And yeah. she actually listens to it but if we look and especially when you guys get there down the line soon to uncle edmure's wedding if you will gray wind was going absolutely like bonkers and they weren't heeding his warnings and i think by aria being more intuitive and especially that training with serio and how she mentions here later on you know to look a little bit better i think that Mm -hmm. combination is kind of what's really honing her skills here Mm. Yeah, I love that because, and as we get to that part of this chapter, obviously we'll talk a little bit more about it, but the actual like waking up, just like you've said, it's almost like a less graceful, elegant version of Blood Raven waking Bran up in the first book, right? Like this is Nymeria saying, hey, stupid, open up, I'm here, which I would love to have that interiority. I would love for Nymeria to just be like, hey, idiot, I'm in your head. Uh, Just be listening to her talk. (laughs) Very effective alarm clock. 
I wish they could talk, man. That would be so cool. It's kind of like, so I found out in Baldur's Gate, you can take a potion to speak with animals, but it makes me think of in Naruto when he finds the the nine-tailed fox inside and talks to him, inside of him. It's like, I'm there the mm. whole time. Chloe's like, hmm, no, don't get it. But no clue. I had never considered what you were saying about the roots, and that makes actually a lot of sense in terms of them chopping down and why they're insistent instead of chopping the trees down on burning them or a lot of them are because then that covers a larger area and potentially even damages the roots as opposed to just cutting the stump and as you said there I, I you know I didn't really consider that the riverlands could be like a hotbed of magic but that makes complete sense especially like you were talking about the blood there's more death here you know we've got that Rot- rotten body water you know just soaking up and everyone but also like i don't know if any of you have watched full metal alchemist but it makes me think of like a lot of the magic being powered by those dead right. bodies and like maybe when the hammer of the waters came down that also created a lot of death that powers this place as well and it, it makes me think of like with brand's last chapter right what what does he say in this book the roots are strong Mm, right winterfell's burnt but the roots are strong like you said these are all these stumps are still there the roots are still intact yeah and then as you said beric bringing back catelyn he's not even a priest he was just like i'm gonna give magical cpr (laughs) yeah or would jamie's um (laughs) weirwood dream oh that's true yeah on the stump like still having magic yeah interesting and that's just a contact high yeah like imagine if he could really get like high off the weirwood net imagine if he cut his hand over it you know and like just like put his hand down like full of metal alchemist style well and it reminds me of the magicians actually aliana where or like other magic kind of sci-fi ish shows where they do like rituals and blood rituals that bring magic like there's a scene that's very graphic where crazy magical powered god basically like does a huge blood ritual and just slaughters a bunch of people mm-hmm. and it, it's supposed to be to power this great magic and eventually this character gets god powers which is cool but she suffers through hell to get it which sucks but like it all the idea of just like a big slaughtering being what powers shit amazing did you watch the magician zara i did not but that sounds fascinating you should you really I should i think it's you would like good. it what's it on mm-hmm. right now it's on netflix i think Ooh. Okay. You yeah. can get it on Netflix. Yeah, it's a sci-fi show technically, but it was With the uh, wise, wonderful. The, the channel. Yeah. It's it's a fantasy show, but on was yeah. on the sci-fi channel. Oh, um, gotcha, 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 gotcha. Yeah, yeah. It's a uh, it's got books. The books are decent. They're very different They're than the show. Very different. Very vastly different. But some stuff is similar, but like very different. Like they very much, you know, they CW it. You know, they change some shit. But it's really interesting. It's well done. It's yeah. very well done. I haven't read Highly it. Highly recommend it. But I hear, like, yeah, it's very different, but, like, the show, I think, stands on its own. It very much becomes its own thing. There are musical numbers. Mm-hmm. I um. love musical <laughs> numbers. See, know what Dan and Dave could have did if they want to make all these changes? Give us a musical number. Cowards. Honestly, wait, I heard that they might be doing a play version, right, of Robert's Rebellion? What if that mm-hmm. were? That could be a musical. It could be, but I don't know that they're doing a musical. Imagine the Battle of the Bells. Sorry, the Battle of the Bells... Nope. With a bell sequence. Huh. I'm imagining. And they use handbells. Yep, for hand the, bells like a... Yep. Like, could be interesting. carolers. Yeah. Yes. Exactly. I'm just hearing Hark have the bells in my head while picturing... Mm. Yeah. Robert in his glory. 
And then obviously Rhaegar, like some of his, like his motifs and stuff would have uh, harps. Oh. I've planned this whole musical out. They should hire me. I mean, I cannot write music. I don't know anything about reading music, but uh, I'm an ideas person, you know? Like Lamy. Oh, yeah. God. Anyway, God. sorry. I took us on a journey, but um, I really like this idea of the Riverlands having more magic, and it makes a lot of sense, too, with the reeds and shit, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the ghosts in Harrenhal. Oh, interesting. And the curse. Yeah, oh, maybe that's why they fucked up. Why would they do such a cursed thing? Or is it because all those people died there that makes it even more magical? Mm-hmm. What came first, chicken or the egg? Who knows? Yeah. The dragon egg. <laughs> oh my god. So, Hot Pie is scared that there are ghosts in Hall. speaking of. Yorin spits on the ground at that, though. He's like, ah, ghost schmosts. Meanwhile, Arya remembers the stories that old Nan told her of evil King Heron walling himself up inside while Aegon roasted the keep, burning everyone up within the blackened walls, creating that great magical force field we're all talking about. Hot Pie was being silly. It wouldn't be ghosts at Harrenhal. It would be knights. Arya could reveal herself to Lady Went, and the knights would escort her home and keep her safe. That was what knights did. They kept you safe, especially women. (laughs) It's very hard to read this with a straight face, Arya. Maybe Lady Went would even help the crying girl. I thought that was really interesting, actually. Like, I don't think I noticed until this read-through that Arya, up until even this point in the story, still holds the belief that knights protect people. And then also having that call-out of, kept you safe, especially women, when put in the context of, like, the Kingsguard and Sansa's first class chapter. Um, but, I mean, the Lady Went thing, her thinking, yeah, Lady Went being there is good... <laughs> That makes complete sense for Arya to think. I kind of wonder if this is one of those parts, like the the line about the knights, where George wasn't really, he wasn't thinking too hard when he wrote that line and didn't really come back to it. Yeah, why not? Because I'm like, she wouldn't she be disillusioned about that at this point? But I guess neither the gold cloaks nor the Lannister guards who killed Sirio. I mean, they're not necessarily knights, so I don't know. Maybe Arya just has had less encounters with them, but seemed weird. Yeah, because as of now, the most she's had besides her father's household guard was just the Lannisters and like the bad side of that was obviously that big slaughter that, you know, of her household. But she kind of only saw men at arms killed. Yeah. She didn't see any of the women being harmed. Like she doesn't know that, you know, the Septa got her head kind of detached from her shoulders. So she doesn't really, I think, understand the levels of the brutality that – not only that, but I don't think Ned kind of gave her the rundown of like, hey, this is what happens when a you know town gets sacked. It's birds and the bees speech, which isn't really a birds and the bees speech. It's just gross. Yeah, I'm going to come back to more of that, too, because I think there's a lot of that in this chapter. Like that uh, you realize Arya absolutely got the gendered Westerosi education of it all. And that did not get, you know, the most talking she got to from Ned about reality of life was right before the end in Agat. So her and Sansa didn't get the speeches. They got told, well, knights will protect you, sweetie. Don't worry. Men will protect you. That's what the society is for. All the men, all the knights, they will take care of it. And it's interesting because then he turned around and said to the boys, listen, you're going to kill someday. And when you do, better mean something and you better mean it and look them in the eye and hear those last words. And like he's like, also, men can only be brave when they're afraid. Being afraid's okay. Girls? Look at the boys. See those boys? They got you. They got you. You know, I mean, that's just like what they're taught. Of course, they're going to sit there and be like, well, knights are good. 
you know, I think it's like how for America, a lot of kids are taught that cops are there to help and protect and serve when they don't necessarily always do that. It's just interesting because I think she knows that because the gold cloaks, right? She doesn't think, I, I just had never thought like, yeah, she doesn't encounter many knights. So it was just interesting because we don't, I, I mean, I don't think of Arya as a kind of POV who's like, yeah, the knights will protect me. So it was such a strange line to, to notice this read through. Yeah, it stands out. It really mm-hmm. does. But I definitely think a lot of it has to do with most of the people she's encountered have always been under Lannister control. So she yeah. is Lannisters don't and Lannisters count. Lannisters don't yeah. count. She's assuming it's oh Lady Wentz knights. These aren't mm. Lannister people. Mm-hmm. That's a good point. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I kind of forgot that not all gold cloaks are knights. You know, they're just and yeah. as you said, they're men at arms. They're not knighted. They're, you know, they're no fucking Elton John <laughs> or yeah. Which yeah. most of them are not the higher born. Like you think Harwin Strong is a sir, yeah. right? You think. Damon Targaryen is a prince, right? Obviously, who was leading the gold cloaks. So it's kind of interesting. Yeah, not everyone decided to go for that, you know, extra tassel or whatever. <laughs> they find a village abandoned, no animals, no coin, and Yorin mentions they probably passed them on the road already. No corpses or fields have been burnt, and they find a garden, so they pull onions, radishes, and cabbages into a bag. Later, they pass a forester's cabin more fields, more wheat, and finally, they come upon a town with a cluster of white houses, a sept, and a lord's tower house, but no people. How queer. Not a single person to be found. I love this little bit of the chapter and this moment of peace so much because it's almost like they're little Eden, right? Like, they find an untouched place. They find a garden. They find food. They could hide out here. They could stay a bajillion years here if they really needed to. Except it's all interrupted by the gold cloaks who are burning everything no matter what. So that peace is just fucking destroyed and all these people die and it's horrid, right? But even the language is so similar in the last two chapters right before this with John at White Tree and Bran uh, as well as Danny. So specifically right before this, John to at White Tree, we're seeing people fled from war. This beautiful paradise is still here. But why? Question mark question mark, question mark. That's the big one here. So at White Tree, we hear that John didn't find it much of a village. Four tumble-down, one-room houses of unmortared stone surrounded an empty sheepfold and a well. The house is roofed with sod, the windows shuttered with ragged pieces of hide, and above them, the great dark red leaves of a monstrous weirwood. And of course, later he says, White Tree was the fourth village they passed, and it had been the same in all of them. The people were gone vanished with their scant possessions and whatever animals they may have had. None of the villages showed any signs of being attacked, though. They were simply empty. So the question on John's tongue, as well as the question here is, what happened to all these people? And when we go visit with Daenerys, right out at the City of Bones and the Red Waste, we have a couple lines of, Two nights later, an infant girl perished. Her mother's anguished wailing lasted all day. There was nothing to be done. The child had been too young to ride, poor thing. Not for her, for the endless black grasses of the nightlands, she must be born again. Uh, and then they find the deserted city with white walls. Similar here to the description of the city Arya finds. Beautiful from afar, cracked and crumbling up close. Everything was white as if the people who lived here had known nothing of color. They ride past heaps of sun-washed rubble where houses fall in and saw the faded scars of fire. 
And at a place where six alleys come together, they pass a marble plinth. Then, you know, they, they get the whole group kind of starts making camp and using the grass and the different bits. And they find a garden themselves. They find figs. They take and they rummage for the figs in that garden slash orchard, their own little bit of Eden before they too have to go to Karth where shit gets bad. There's Sodom a great connection of family about it. Yeah, exactly. Sodom and Gomorrah. Yeah, literally. Uh, there's a great connection of that family going on, right? Danny wanting to know of Westeros, of her family, and Benjen, talking about Benjen with Yorin for Arya, and Benjen with Jor with Jon. And then, of course, Daenerys, who takes care of the little girl who dies to the very end, and Dorea who passes away in that chapter with Arya taking care of that little girl. I love the connections that you've drawn here. Um, absolutely. It really, I mean, it parallels well, like with what Arya was saying. Um, did I say Arya? With what Ara was saying. We're one <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh, hang on. Um, it parallels with, uh, you know, what Ara was saying earlier, Arya's siblings uh, and John's storyline. And I, I want to quickly, you know, give a, book recommendation i mean like we know why these people well with vase toloro kind of but like we know for example why the the free folk left their village we know why this village is abandoned right like there was just too much violence the people couldn't risk staying anymore for their own safety or for their children's their families and i want to recommend this book called we are displaced uh, by malala it's a couple of different stories of or accounts from young women and girls who have been displaced. Some are refugees, some aren't, because being a refugee requires crossing country borders. I've harped on this before, but people think, you know, it's an easy decision to be like, yeah, I'm going to just up and go, leave my home, and run in the face of violence. But it's hard, you know? Like, everyone doing it collectively as well, like, that's your home. It's not an easy decision to make, and it's not... It's, it's difficult, so... Highly recommend people checking that out. It's also, you know, it's a pretty accessible read as well. Yeah, Eliana, we'll have to link that below. I think that's a great point of all of these places that people have been pushed out of. By war. By war, by other things. There's a couple different reasons that people would have to leave, but yeah. War's a big one. Yeah. War's up there. Violence. Climate change Sweet. is next. Uh, well, <laughs> Violence, they, they war, go climate change. As, the, you know, as resources yeah. become more scarce, violence mm -hmm. um, increases. Well, so. and that's a lot of what this Ooh, chapter yeah. ends up being about. Right, what the gold cloaks are doing. They take a careful look around to see if anyone's there to attack them when they come to the town, but they find no one. They head to the lakefront to see if they can locate a boat, and Arya gets goose prickles. Where did the people go? Why were they scared? The only boat they find is upside down, rotted out, and abandoned at the inn. Lamy wonders if there's food or ale there, but Waff, who was once a sailor, says, Don't you mind the inn. We need to find a boat. Somehow, Arya knows, though, that they could search the entire town and never find a boat. The people that lived here had, of course, taken them. Ugh, that's not good. So we know oh. where that leads. Sucks. It's probably a lot of the people that are at Harrenhal. Oh, yeah, I didn't think that. They went there for protection, right? Look at King's Landing, the people going to King's Landing for protection. Yeah. They went to their biggest house, their big flagship that should keep me safe place, and nope. I mean, your first mistake yeah. is Harrenhal, but... They had no it's other true. choices. They had the same plan as Yorin. And I will add, it's interesting that the Tullys kind of run everything, right? And we see Edmure, you know, take care of his people during war. Obviously, that's a big point of contention in these books. But it sucks that Hall is not the seat of the Riverlands anymore solely because of that. Like, they're at a very central place where 
a lot of towns are looking for shelter and there's no lord to provide it for them. I mean, yeah. no one can run that place anyways on its own. It's too big to be fucking run as we learned, but Harrenhal's like, you know, when when they turn the the sports arenas into shelters. Yeah. <laughs> Only it's all gone awry, but in theory it could have been that place. That's funny. I'm reading a book where it uses some of that, or I've read a book recently where it uses some of that concept. The Zoe Ash books by Jason Pargan use that concept of like big corporate kind of like buildings like that that have just been turned into like basically a shelter. Yeah. So Arya plunges her face into the water, wishing she could take a full plunge and swim around. Can she swim? When Yorin and the others reappear, they say they found the tower empty. Snails, nails, buckets of hard tar, a mother cat and kittens, but no boats and no people. But they do find some animals to eat. And Koss says he may be able to repair the bottom of the rotted boat, which would fit four people. And Lami suggests, why don't we just build boats? We have trees and nails. And Yorin's like, um, I'm sorry. Are you a boat builder? Is this what you do now? And I'm like, Lami is just me playing Tears of the Kingdom. Just making rasp. Be like, yeah. I'm telling you, he's an ideas guy. Like, I didn't see Yorin coming up with a good plan. Lami's like, how about we build some boats? Like, uh, you know, spitball in here. At least he's trying, you know. He tried. He is trying. <laughs> I, uh, I understand this reference now, Eliana. I've watched a lot of Tears of the Kingdom this week. I've watched my roommate play a lot of it. So I understand that reference. You too might be able to watch Chloe's roommate play Tears of the Kingdom if you're lucky during... Girls Gone Cannon Brunch. Perhaps it will be on the wall behind <laughs> Chloe. Yeah, that does happen often. Either that or like titty movies. My God. Art house movies. Yeah. <laughs> Everyone's like, what's going on behind you? I'm like, oh, blur background. Sorry, you're getting a free movie. That's what's going on. We haven't Just ex- enjoy art. Yeah. We have an explicit <laughs> tag on our... We actually do on our podcast. Yeah, we say it's fuck Because of much. all the F-bombs yeah. we drop. Fuck. I've been trying to do really well with not... Tapping into my trashy New England ways and using sentence enhancers every other sentence. So like a, you should abandon I'm it. Fighting against my you nature. Just be yourself. Just be yourself, Ara. That's what we do. You know, do your podcast too today. Oh yeah. You don't have to be faceless around us. You can <laughs> just do your New England thing. I didn't want your yeah. listeners hearing me drop, drop f bombs like every five seconds because you know. Just how we grow why? up. Are you, why you like, so, to are you trying to say something about people who drop F-bombs every other second? No, I'm just saying, like, growing up here, you just, like, get, like, at kindergarten, it's like, oh, here's your all-exclusive pass to say fuck every two sentences, and here's some Dunkin' Donuts. Like, welcome. Uh, I was born in the wrong place. Beautiful. <laughs> so... Gendry actually stands up for Lamy and is like, no, we could at least make rafts, possibly. And Yorin's like, all right, well, I'll sleep on it. We'll think about it tomorrow. No, you won't. <laughs> uh, so they decide to sleep in the holdfast with the gates up and barred. Arya's like, maybe we shouldn't stay here. The people who lived here might have been on to something. And Lamy's like, ooh, you're afraid, Ari. And Yorin's like, actually, Ari's smart. So even though Ned didn't give her that lesson that you mentioned earlier about when a man is afraid, it is only time he could be brave, she somehow knew it. She somehow knew it. Yeah. Yeah. She's brave. She's definitely that. Yeah. Yeah. The Night's Watch doesn't take part in the war, though. So, like, Yorin's like, no man is our enemy. What? What do we got to worry about? And Ari thinks, uh, no man is our friend either. But holds her tongue. Right, that goes both ways. You have no allies and no friends and no enemies. But that kind of means you have enemies when it comes to war, because war throws the rule book out of the motherfucking window. Arya had mentioned not staying there, right? And 
had thought that was a smart idea, which I'm like, maybe now, uh, maybe. Where would they have? I don't know what they would have really done in retrospect, but I love the language and the way Yorin says, no man is our enemy, and Arya thinks no man is our friend, especially with that connection at the end of the chapter where Arya frees no one, right? She frees Jacken, and she takes a chance, even though no one is your friend and no one is your enemy. It might do to free no one, because it turns out she gets three fucking favors from no one. It's like a genie. Yeah. Yeah. It turns out it was good to free the genie from the burning cage, after all, even if he wasn't really her friend or enemy. I think they're kind of friends. Sweet boy. Come here, sweet boy. Like, yeah, they're friends. <laughs> I think I think they're friends. Like, the their relationship later on. You know, he goes a little above and beyond for her. I mean, they're not um, friends right now, though. So, well, yeah. No, oh, right now, yeah. I, I thought we met later on. I was like, I think it's a strange relationship, but I think it's friend. It's friendship. Uh, friendship is magic, and Jacken is magic. So, mm-hmm. um, I haven't read this book, but I remember during the Sam chapters, which of course intersect with Arya's. Uh, uh, Yoko Boy referenced this this book called The Gift of Fear. I've heard other people discuss it since then, and maybe it only stood out to me when people talk about it because Yokeboy brought it up. But it's by Gavin DeBecker, and I believe that the book is kind of about learning how to identify fear, maybe in contrast with anxiety or something, in order to avoid slash survive danger. And I thought that was interesting in the context of this chapter, and, you know, comes back to what you were saying, Ara, about um, the lesson from Ned about, you know, being afraid is is normal fear is a normal feeling that maybe you should listen to sometimes um and how these people ignore it and Lamy mocking Arya for it when I think heeding that fear and like really heeding it could have saved their lives but she ignores it um that instinct because of this authority figure Yorin it also makes me think of later in this book right Davos ignoring his fear being like this is weird this is suspicious and the fleet sailing into the trap and um part of the fear kind of you know as you said like it it's maybe magic is stronger here but it's kind of like this base animal instinct right fear as a survival mechanism and um i don't know i just it's something that i think about that whole gut instinct thing i hear stories of women being like i don't know i had a bad gut feeling about this guy and then finding out later on, like, oh, that guy was a serial killer. And, like, they're like, I just felt something. I'm, I, th- like, oh, yeah. that happens. I oh, hear stories um, about that. And I'm like... Intuition. I always tell people to listen to it. Not to get yeah. super witchy-woo-wah here. But as somebody with, you know, 12H stellium and I'm a Pisces with some Aquarius going on, my third eye is, like, super open. I don't know why I'm doing all these hand motions. But, yeah, I'm very intuitive. Like, I usually, like, if I have a gut feeling... Nine times out of ten, I'm usually right about it. I like to call it my Aria tingle. So for now, I'm gonna give it Aria, <laughs> the Aria tingle, and oh, I like that, like spider yeah. senses. Yes, yeah, exactly where I got it from. Uh, her wolf senses. Yeah, ooh, <laughs> see, I like that better. Her wolf senses are tingling and saying, "Yeah, I don't think we should stay here." But at the end of the day, kind of, where else are they gonna go? Because I feel like at least that's a yeah, fortification, true. something that they can use to protect themselves. Rather than being out in the open, because figure if they were out in the open, especially in the dark, oh, in the dark, like yeah, they have yeah. to just scatter, like they scatter and then they really For lose sure. formation. You know, you're better together, stronger together. So dark, fear, men run, scatter. Yeah, yeah. But no, no, you're right. Like they, 
like, this was probably one of the best places they could have chosen, but, I don't know, just stood out to me, because I also think of, like, I, I have, in theory, an intuition or gut instinct, and I am the person who always tells it, shut the fuck up, you're wrong, and does it bite me in the ass all the time, because I'm very good at ignoring danger. Oh my god. No, it's You laugh in the face me. of danger. I need to learn to trust myself. No, I know it's oh um, gosh, I need to learn to Leo, trust though. myself more. So that was a Lion King reference. Mm-hmm. I, don't... And I was like, oh my god, but you're a Leo, <laughs> so you like oh. Simba and you laugh in the face of danger. She squints in the face of danger. Hmm. I squint and I'm like, that's not dangerous, right? My friends have joked, they're like, Oh, you just gaslit yourself. I'm like, I did. Yeah. I uh I'm very much my my Pluto is my Scorpio Pluto, so I'm very much like yeah, it's a weird one, you know? I'm out there with that one, and it's very mystical, I feel like, but I, I trust my intuition. I know. If I say, if my gut knows, I know. Eliana knows that, too. I trust that bitch. Yeah. She knows more She's than I do. She's been right. She's been right a lot, mm-hmm. Chloe's intuition about people. People. I'm good at it. I know. Fuckers. So I'm just <sighs> saying you learned from Cereal Pharrell is what you're saying. Swift as water. I will say there's a little bit of that intuition. You know, a lot of these chapters remind me of cat chapters in that way too because cat is has a Mm, very strong intuition and i think Arya very much gets that from her mom trusting that gut of like oh something is up something's up yeah but i think cat is a little like me like no that must be in my head i'm just being emotional see cat needs a me because like i'm over Mm, here i'm the person to kind of gun you up i'm the one to be like no you should worry about it you should be listening to yourself like i will gas you up on that Cat, you need a Chloe. Mm-hmm. Well, now you're dead, undead, but you need a Chloe. Yeah, I was like, I have a Chloe. <laughs> <laughs> I have one. Uh, they fortify their sleeping place. It's no red keep, but it'll hold for the night. He divides up the team into three watches, sending them out to the tower house. They drive wagons and animals out to the gates, barring the gates and bringing in all the gooses and chickens, lighting a cook fire at Yorin's permission. Arya gets put on cook duty with Dobber and Gendry. Dobber tells Arya to pluck the bird, and Gendry splits the wood. When she asks, why can't I split the wood? Everyone's like, anyways. <laughs> like, you have little baby arms, Arya. Let's maybe let the, you know, the, you know, blacksmith apprentice do that. Splinter toothpicks, like, okay. Not saying she couldn't, but I'm just saying, like, Gendry would probably get done faster, you know? More efficient, yeah. yeah more efficient production. When the food's ready, Arya eats a chicken leg and a bit of onion. No one really talks. The crying girl whimpers and cries until Hot Pie feeds her some goose. Same. Gendry goes off to shine his home after. Arya takes a second watch, finding a straw pallet to sit upon. She borrows Yorin's stone to sharpen Nymeria with. Hot Pie watches her work and asks where she got her sword from. She tells him that her brother gave it to her. He's surprised that she has brothers, and she tells him she has lots of brothers. She remembers that Yorin told her to shut her mouth and tells him that her brothers are all much bigger, that they have big, long swords, and they taught her how to kill people who bug her. <laughs> he says he was just talking, not bothering, and he leaves. Arya curls up on the pallet, listening to the little girl crying, wishing she would be quiet. I just, I find the scene so soft, you know? Hot Pie's trying to prove wrong earlier, like, the thought that Arya had earlier of no man's our friend, and I'm like, no, Hot Pie wants to be friends. It's kind of sweet, and it's sad in a way that she's pushing them away, and it's kind of how Arya spends the next bit of time, right? Like, this is the last time that she has, like, a family, quote-unquote, that she's just starting to get used to them. 
Obviously, she gets away with the group out of this, and they have a couple more adventures, but after that, over the next books, she ends up so isolated with no one that she can really confide in no or one. be friends with no one yeah i mean the, the sex workers and you know down in a feast for crows are kind of like her friends like those are the people she feels comfortable with because all of them have like their own lives and secrets and you know she feels like she gets to be led into it a little bit but she's not really allowed to be friends with anyone in feast for crows mm. and on especially after she starts losing her family right as soon as they start dying in that pain more and more it's sad because it shows kind of as she hardens herself and becomes kind of that child soldier and warrior and ends up getting put on this vengeance arc and turned into kind of a mini machine, a fun size mini machine. You know, she loses out on that humane part of herself. It's very sad. Also, I just want to say the crying girl only stopping to cry when she eats. I'm like, I can't use this so much. Same mood. I don't get... I think, well, maybe I get a little hungry, but I'm more of like a sad, hungry person, so. Oh, a sad, hungry. I'm a bored, hunger person. Oh. Mm-hmm. I'm like, a walks around the room and is like, what did I just do? Like, I just got my commands of The Sims canceled. Like, I'm like, what was I doing? And then I'm like, better go to the fridge. Don't know why I'm here. I'm definitely, I get hangry. Ooh. I get real hangry. I get irritable. Mm. I'm like, my eyes start twitching. I start foaming out the mouth. And then I have Snickers and then my day goes back to normal. Fuck yeah. Like the world is hopeless. <laughs> <laughs> See, maybe that's what, that's what Arya anything. needed. That's what Arya needed. She needed a Snickers. This is the true three heads of the dragon. She had to go out there. She had to hunt a little Snickers, you know, <laughs> stick it with the pointy end. Uh, Arya must have fallen asleep, but she doesn't remember falling asleep. And she dreams a wolf howling a terrible howl and it wakes her. She asks everyone, she's like, did you guys hear that wolf? And they're like, nah, we didn't hear a wolf. Saving the day once again, I'm telling you guys, those wolf dreams. Listen yeah. To you pointing out that this was like an alert, that was crazy to me. Because it is. It was a wake-up call, a literal wake-up call. Again, makes you think of Catelyn having some of those like Cassandra-like thoughts and fears that she tells people. And they're like, nah, you're just being crazy, cat. And, and these keep coming in handy. As we get to a storm of swords down the line, we start to see that she's tapping in more and realizing some of this stuff, maybe not fully realizing how she's tapping in, but like she's pretty much directing Nymeria in A Storm of Swords, like when the brave companions are hunting her and she's hunting them. <laughs> yeah. Uh, she doesn't quite fully realize it, but I, I, it really makes me, and you kind of made me think of this Ara coming to Rob, ignoring Grey Wind. I really wish I had oh. that from a POV, right? Just to see his so connection badly. and thoughts, like what he felt from Grey Wind. And if his connection was deeper than Arya's at this point or not, I'd be I, interested. I wish we had at least just one Rob POV. Yeah. Just, just one. one. You could have made it a prologue yeah. or an epilogue and he's going to die anyway. So could have did it that way. But like just, just get inside his head one time. Just one time. <laughs> I I actually do believe that Rob was uh, more adept at skin changing than Arya was at this time. He's not like a green seer the way that Bran is, but I do think that uh, Rob was probably the most proficient. I, I absolutely yeah. agree because I think he actually tapped into it. Yeah. Like, he's like, ooh, this is fun. He's like, I love dogs. <laughs> or wolves, whatever. Wolf, wolf. I know they're all like, dogs and wolves are different, but I'm like, whatever, he's a fucking dog. They're big dogs. I don't care. Not for the Starks, right? They're really not that different to the Starks. Oh, not at all. Mm -hmm. The Starks are like, this is what dogs should be like. What are you talking about? Yeah. She yanks her boots on, yelling that something's wrong. 
Something is coming, and then a sound comes shuddering through the night. Kerr's blowing a horn, sounding danger. Everyone dresses, and as she dashes past the barn, the trio of villains in the cage shout at her, Jackin asking if it's war, telling her to free them. She ignores them and runs, scrambling to the catwalk on the parapets. Trying to see over, she thinks it's lightning bugs for a moment through the town, but realizes men with torches are galloping through, lighting buildings as she goes by a hundred, two hundred. Gendry points where a column of riders comes through and she can't quite make out the banner, but it looks red. Everything did. Yorin shouts commands. Everyone is running or struggling with animals. The little crying girl clings to her leg and she shoves her away. A knight in a tall helm demands they open their gates in the name of the king. He asks if they are one of Lord Beric's cravens or if Thoros the fat fool is in there. <laughs> Fun fact, uh, Thoros lost some weight, buddy. Yorin shouts back, they're only lads of the Night's Watch, hoisting up their black banner, but one of the knights shouts back, or maybe black for House Dondarrion. It's fucking so stupid. Like, there would be purple and lightning, you idiot. You motherfucking idiot. What the fuck? Also, like, yeah, okay, Amory Lorch, you fucking fatphobic motherfucker. Leave them alone. Leave them alone. Exactly. Yeah. I think he's just jelly. Yeah. You wish you had powers and light pink robes. Yeah, agreed. And a top knot. Do you say, because I just noticed this, Aura, do you say lightning bugs or do you say fireflies? Fireflies. Mm-hmm. I also say fireflies. Same. Chloe, do you say lightning bugs? Fireflies. Oh, interesting. Yep. Like interesting. the song. Yeah. <laughs> I can't believe my ass. There are some regions where they use lightning bugs, so I thought that was an interesting, it stood out to me in there. Yeah, I'm kind of looking at it now, and it seems it's more of a uh, southern southeast, and that yeah. fireflies are more like west, northwest, the entire like west side of the map. However, the um, top bits, you know, like the top of the midwest to the northeast, so Ara, is like a light bluish, like more firefly than lightning bug, but it like it's mixed. So interesting. Yeah, it's like a regional dialect thing, and I it's just interesting because what George is also, he should be saying firefly because he's from New Jersey. Well, it makes it very different. That's all. That's all <laughs> I wanted to talk about, everyone. <gasps> well, it's like the you know the the regional dialects are my lord, mm-hmm. I guess, versus my lord, my lord. This is not. Yeah, this is not class. I guess this is just. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. This is just region. Anyway. Arya remembers the morning that she had thrown an orange at Sansa, and her ivory gown that she wore, and that Jane had been in love with a Beric Dondarrion. He had a lightning bolt on his shield, and her father had sent him out to behead the Hound's brother. It seemed a thousand years ago now, something that had happened to a different person in a different life. To Arya, the hand's daughter, not Ari the orphan boy, how would Ari know lords and such? So yes, Arya learning to think about what she's saying compared to what she's thinking. Very good. Very well done, Arya. Uh, except as we get to the moment of battle soon. You know, you can't really help but let loose then. Yorin asks Aww. if he's blind, and the knight answers by night. All banners look black. He says, open, or you'll be named mm. outlaws in League of the King's Enemies. And he names himself as Sir Amory Lorch Tywin, the Hand of the King's Bannerman, which I'm like, Tyrion's technically... Hand of the King. I know he's taking that for his dad for a moment, but excuse me. That's true. That's true. He is um interim interim Hand of the King, if you will. But uh, that that actually, when you read it aloud, stood out to me. Um, Amory Lorch in his like 
in a twisted way is kind of saying what should be happening when the long night happens. At night, all banners look black. They will all be part of the watch in Ooh, maybe like book that. six or seven. <laughs> That's going to be horrible. No, they're going to band together kind of maybe, hopefully, but probably not because it's never going to be that simple, of course. Oh, they're all going to die. Wouldn't that be nice? But they're oh, not oh. all going to die, but a lot of them mm. will also... Many. Or at Everybody least not then. Yorin, Yorin yeah. is going to die now. <sighs> Rib. So, Yorin scowls and tells them that the town is nothing to them and they're no foes of the king. Look with your eyes, Arya wanted to shout at the men below. Can't they see? We're no lords or knights, she whispered. I don't think they care, Ari. Gendry whispered back. Duh. <laughs> He's like, uh, sis, I'm not sure if you checked. Um, they really don't care. Like, I mean, uh, this is her first real, like, obviously Micah was an injustice and she saw that on the smaller scale, but this is her first big scale watching injustice happen to people and watch people that should not be hurt at all by the gold cloaks being just fucked up. Like, that, this isn't what they're supposed to do. Like, it's one thing to enforce the king's will, but they're just burning whole entire villages and holdfasts and homes of these people. And, and worse, it's their realm. Like, yes, they're splitting right now and there's war, but it's so funny because you're burning down what you want to be left over afterwards when you win. You want to be king of scorched fucking ground? Idiot. Asshole. Like, you're going to have no food. You're going into the winter. You're burning down one of the biggest food sources. The only place that's going to have food left is the fucking reach at this point. Like, SMH. SMH. Uh, Arya looks at Amory's face and she's like yeah Gendry's right he's fucking crazy they ask once more to come in and they're like in the name of King Joffrey and Yorin defies him which reminds me of in John 2 that chapter right before this uh, Jarman Buckwell says a year ago Robert was king and the realm was at peace what much can change in a year's time well here we are King Joffrey in all that is good and great commanding across the realm and these are his acts he's commanding quote unquote no, I just thought of when you were mentioning that, I believe it was the last chapter or maybe the chapter before that when Yorin's talking about he's been traveling the King's Road for 30 years mm. and only had three people die on that on those travels. And Joffrey's been on the throne for maybe a couple weeks. <laughs> like, wow, you mean to tell me Eris had better management than you did of these roads, pal? Pretty much. Also, aren't the gold clothes out of their jurisdiction anyways? Aren't they supposed yep. to just be in King's Landing? Yeah. They just don't care, as you said. Nope. You know? Like, or, like, as as Gendry points out, yeah. They just, you know, Amory Lorch, not a not a big ideas guy. Definitely an executor. Definitely of a doer. Yeah, of kids. He loves kids. killing kids. Kid executor. Ugh. Yes. And that is, like... Especially for Arya growing up in this world, being told knights should protect her. This is a big eye-opening moment where she sees that the people that are supposed to protect King's Landing and do the King's will are burning down the fucking country. Like, oh, interesting that you're not doing what you're supposed to be doing, quote-unquote. This is a big awakening chapter. Well, also, I mean, that or they are doing, like, is this what Tywin's strategy is, right? Where you burn down the fields, etc. Are they doing what they are supposed to be doing? 
Well, but that's what I mean. What they're supposed to be doing by their job description is not what they're doing. Mm. That the government is misusing their resources to burn down the countryside, even though the government is supposed to protect them, is what I'm saying. Yeah, gotcha. Yes, yes. Just like, it's all turtles all the way down, you know? I can't believe my tax dollars are going to this, is what I'm trying to tell you. Taiwan's fucking drone striking the Riverlands. Christ almighty. It's horrible because that's so much food. Yeah. I'm sorry. I'm really. It's a lot. I love. No, that's food. what I was thinking of, especially with winter coming. And there's a lot of. Uh, I think we went this out last chapter. There's a lot of food in these Aria chapters. Mm. Oh a lot yeah, of food. There like is. there's food in this one too. Yeah, you know, some there was chicken and onions and geese. Yeah, and geese. And that's gonna go away. <laughs> oh yeah, that food's done. Like that garden that they just picked food out of. Like gone. Oh, yeah. Gone. The radishes and the cabbages. Yep. Audi. Those stood out to me. I was like, they got radishes and cabbages. <sighs> Amory <sighs> is bored, basically, of all this back and forth and just commands the men to scale the walls, kill them all. Arya yanks hot pie out of the way of spears flying, showing she does love hot pie after all. A torch flies above their heads, thumping into the dirt of the yard, and Yorn commands them, defend the wall! Yeah, the, you know, again, with these John mirrors, right? The Night's Watchmen outnumbered by an invading force and trying to survive. In some ways, this this is kind of like the Battle at the Wall in miniature. That's next book, though. I love that, though, because it is. It's very, um, the darkness, the banners in the dark, as you said. The, uh, the torches, especially. That's one of the very big strategies at the Wall, right? That they're using torches and putting barrels of shit, rolling them down to hit the enemies. They have to kind of think like that out of the box here. It doesn't go well, but we have these scenes. We have, some, we have again, one of the most iconic scenes in the whole book series coming up in a second. Hotbye drops his sword when trying to take it out, and Arya puts it back in his hands. He tells her he doesn't know how to sword fight, and she lies and tells him that it's easy. I'm like, oh, she's going to tell him stick him with the pointy end, but doesn't. As a hand grabs the parapet, climbing up to get them, she slashes at them with needle, blood spurting. The fingers fly off the hand. And the face disappears, and Hot Piles behind as another man appears, and she drives Needle at him. For every man that Arya cuts or stabs, another one comes over the wall. Interesting, over the wall. Mm-hmm. She sees the Lannister sigil and imagines driving Needle into Joffrey's face. That's our girl. That's our girl. She sees Kyle, spelled with a Q, <laughs> beg for mercy. From I needed to call that out from a knight with a wasp on his shield. He smashes his face in. Everything smells like blood. Smoke, iron, and piss. Horrible. And at one point, the smell becomes one. I think she forgot a certain smell. All Kyles are, you know, infused with monster energy drinks. (laughs) (laughs) Even the ones with a Q. Oh, yes. Bull urine, sorry. Bull urine. Drink with a Q at the end. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, a, A skinny man gets over the wall, but Gendry, Arya, and Hot Pie fall on him. Gendry shattering the man's helm. And taking off his head, Ara, I will let you. Would you like to read this iconic moment for us? Oh, heck yeah. Our <laughs> yes, yeah. Underneath, he was bald and scared looking, with missing teeth and a speckly gray beard. But even as she was feeling sorry for him, she was killing him, shouting, Winterfell, Winterfell, while Hot Pie screamed, Hot Pie, <laughs> beside her as he hacked the man's scrawny neck. <laughs> Hot pie. It reminds me of when Donkey says Donkey uh, in Shrek. Oh my god, yes. it is the exact same energy. They're making Shrek's shoes. Um, oh, I saw Shrek, Shrek Crocs. Crocs. Yeah, the Shrek Crocs, the Shrek Crocs. I know, They're- I'm so mad your birthday's already gone, because I'm like, damn, should have gotten you those. 
Uh, yeah, I think throughout the books, this scene always stays with me, and I love, like, in my head, or sometimes I'll reenact it, people just yelling, hot pie, hot pie, making slashing motions. I love that it's, like, Arya actually has a lot of fucking humor in her chapters, real fleeting. Like, there's that line about Pia in the buttery in A Storm of Swords, where she's like, Pia was always seeing ghosts in the buttery. It fucking, it's horrible in retrospect, because we know Pia doesn't have the easiest time, but it's really just like a fucking whirlwind of a comment like sharp snarky she's like whatever she's always seeing men in the buttery her chapters just have this great commentary and snark i love it i hope it continues in the winds of winter someday you mean today (laughs) look under your chair yeah today today (laughs) i mean there's stuff in this that does tie into the the winds chapter that we have yes there is there's something that i actually didn't even fucking mention because i'm like ah we'll talk about that way later in a spoiler-controlled environment. Though, if you haven't read mm-hmm. Mercy, what are you doing? Go read Mercy. It's such a fucking good chapter. Oh, so good. They're waiting for it to come out in the book. Mm-hmm. So, they fought their way off the parapets, ending up in the yard, and Arya looks around, death surrounding them, wondering where to go. And then Yorin was there, shaking her, telling her that they've lost, and to herd who she can, and get the boys out through the trap door in the barn. Yes, tell the little kid to do it. I'll say, insert George Lucas, it's like poetry, it rhymes. But um, John, <laughs> for me, I think it's interesting because I feel like there's a nice John Aaron, Robin Ned parallel here between Yorin, Gendry, and Arya, where both John and Yorin have these two essentially wanted children. Because realistically, they're there for Gendry, but if they figured out Arya was there too, it would be like two for one special. So with that being said, it's like, all right, their protector, their guardian, is putting their life and their honor on their line to protect their wards. Even though Yorin kind of dies here and doesn't, you know, die later from poisoning from his wife and, you know, how that went. But I just find it very interesting, the little connections there. I feel like there's a lot of ties between Gendry and Arya with, like, Ned and Robert. I love that because then later John even does the same thing, right? Where he has to save the lives of two kids or try to and switcheroo them. And Davos, of course, we'll talk about also does that. But lots of, and Aegon, right? The the entire switcheroo with Aegon of trying to quote unquote save Aegon that comes up, that gets gardened in. But I love the, uh, I like that. The, that shows you like the way that these characters act when it comes to hiding the identities of wanted children in Injustice. That says a lot about the character of those characters. I just love you calling that out because, you know, we see those similarities between Ned protecting John and, and you know, what's going on here with Gendry, but absolutely with the John Aaron one. Arya gathers as many people as she can. They find Lamy bleeding and there's a spear in his leg. Garen is too hurt to move. Arya finds and grabs the little girl, having to drag her in her right hand. So I hate to be that guy, but, you know, at least Arya tries to help her crying girl in her, you know, chapters as this uh, parallel Sansa with her crying girl being Jane, who's her BFF. And she's like, yo, this girl's kind of like annoying me. Can we do something about that? Yeah. And I mean, it's interesting because, again, Jane Poole's story ends up, right, really intersecting with Arya's in a in an unexpected way, <laughs> um, to put it lightly. But I, I kind of think that's the point of like Sansa's story and the growth, right? And why I was surprised that Arya was trusting of knights earlier on. Because, you know, Sansa, I think, you know, she trusts that the system is going to work for people versus the disillusionment, which later on becomes a, her disillusionment with the system and realizing, oh, you know, we have to look out for the people around us because and comfort people around us because, you know, people 
aren't going to look out for that, right? Versus how Arya has always been rejected in many ways by that system and therefore is like, oh, it's on me to take care of this and to save people. And we see Sansa later on being like, taking care of people like Dantos, even though it, it, it endangers her and the Blackwater, right? Um, being like, hmm, these people are being really weird and dramatic and annoying and then being like, oh, it's because we're scared because there's war and then, you know, stepping up and comforting everyone. But, you know, I think that that growth and that contrast between believing the system works versus not, it intersects even with Yorin's own story, right? He's like, I don't know, we're the Night's Watch. We're supposed to be protected. Like, this isn't supposed to happen. People are supposed to leave us alone and let us just go along our way. And then... They don't because Amory Lorsch is a really he's he's an executor. I was gonna make a really so unserious like thing here. Sansa does not have a fun genie at King's Landing. Her King's Landing she genie doesn't. is the worst. Yeah, at least Arya, Arya's you know genie Jockin listens to her and does exactly what she asked. Well, them, no one, whatever they are, to do. Sansa's is like. Hey, can you grant me this wish? And it's like, I'm going to give you the worst possible outcome of that wish. Yeah, it's like poisoned mentors, right? She has poisoned mentors in King's Landing. Sansa is stuck with Cersei in the first book as her mentor. How the fuck do you think that's going to go? She's in the second book stuck with Dantos and Littlefinger becoming her new mentors for the next couple books or for, well, until Dantos, you know. In regards to the genie aspect, it's like, yeah, you get your wish, but first I'm going to sexually harass you. Yeah. Absolutely. It's uh, there's also it comes back to that idea of like the immaturity for both Arya and Sansa not being in a war ever and not understanding. Right. Arya is stuck in a very physical part of the war right now on the road uh, in the midst of it. And Sansa is stuck in more of the psychological warfare part of it in holding hostages in politics at court. Right. I mean, Arya finds the little girl annoying. She quite clearly says it in this chapter. And in the last chapter, she says, She rode ahead of the wagons as far as she dared so she wouldn't have to hear the little girl crying or listen to the woman whisper. Or in this chapter, she could hear the crying girl from the far side of the haven. I wish she'd just be quiet. Why does she have to cry all the time? Uh, We know, right? Like, obviously, she's a small child traumatized by war. Same with the woman, who is also possibly traumatized and freaking out from the war. The violence they've experienced, hunger, malnourishment, etc. And... Arya doesn't really understand or contextualize that of like why that's happening and just thinks, oh, I wish they'd shut up. And Sansa's similar, right? She thinks that she's joined the nobles now. She thinks that Cersei is her protector. She thinks that Cersei is a good queen, which is, I mean, that's what she's been shown, that Cersei is a wronged party. She's a victim. She's a good queen who's going to set rights now that her bad drunk husband is gone. Uh, and she thinks she's joined that, that Cersei is on her side. And we see that, that like she's portraying herself as a woman of the court we see it in Sansa 2 in A Game of Thrones at the tourney when Jane's crying at the tourney because it's a little horrible and gory. Sansa's like, I don't, I can't cry because then they see me cry and I'm a lady of the court now. Um, when obviously we know, no, honey, you're a hostage soon. You don't know it yet, but you're going to be a hostage. We see that mask, right? Like Sansa's toying with understanding that mask at the end of A Game of Thrones. Uh, she does absolutely think that Jane's being annoying and not being a lady about it. She thinks she thought the kindness might lift Jane's spirits, but the other girl just looked at her with red swollen eyes and began to cry harder. She was such a child. But also Sansa thinks that Jane's dad is just downstairs. She thinks that Jane's dad is off, you know, downstairs being held and that he's going to be let go. She doesn't get they're slaughtering her whole family 
And she still does choose to stand up for Jane. I will defend her on that, Ara. Listen, because she does. I know. I mean, she does ask. She goes, Cersei, please, won't you do something? Jane just wants to see her dad. She just wants to see her dad. She's scared. She won't stop crying. Can't she just see her dad? And then when all of a sudden Cersei's like, huh, Littlefinger, can you uh, take care of that for me? Thanks. Because she's just, she's scaring poor little Sansa. Obviously, that's what's happening. And Sansa's like, wait, no, that's not, I I don't understand. Yeah, it's really unfortunate that I'm like, a lot of people do not have empathy for others. It seems like, especially like how you pointed out, like, Sansa and Arya both find these two people crying, like, to be annoying, not realizing, like, maybe if we had a little empathy and realized the trauma that they just experienced, we'd be a little bit more understanding of that. But unfortunately, just the way they're brought up, especially as, like, ladies, mm-hmm. empathy's not really something they, like, afford to people. Not only that, but especially to people below their station, they're like, fish probably should be all right. And it's really sad when you look at it. I think it's also a world that, like, they've never had to experience it. Like, it's never been something that Arya could experience violence from war. There's never been an opportunity for Sansa to experience the violence of war and be a hostage ever. They're very much fish out of water in this scenario. Wolves out of water. Other crying babies. Rickon's a crying baby and Bran and Rob find him so annoying. Yeah. I mean. Everybody's stuck with a crying kid. Crying kids can be annoying, dude. I get it. I mean, Rob and Bran are stuck with a little crying Rick on for a while. Yeah, and then when Rob disappears, Bran's still like, still crying a lot. But um, can we do something about that? And I'm like, guys, they're sad. It's okay to be sad, guys. It's okay to cry. Yeah, I wanna, I wanna have a poster in Westeros saying it's okay to cry. <laughs> Honestly, a lot of them would benefit from that. They yeah. would. Problems would be solved if people cried more in Westeros. Yeah, it's funny because those lessons that Ned didn't teach them, they have to learn them the hard way, right? Where the brothers were handed these lessons and said, you know, when can a man be brave? You know, this is when, when he's afraid. And both Arya and Sansa do, in the moment of fear, stand up for Jane slash save the little girl, which is good. But unfortunately, in the situation Sansa's in, there's no saving anyone because they have power over those girls that those girls don't have an escape from. Justice for Jane. Yeah. Yeah. I do think, that, I don't know, there's also an aspect of, like, you pointed out that Arya does do all this even though she finds the girl annoying. She she sucks it up and she does the, the thing to save her anyway. Um, and that dovetails with something else later on this chapter. But just, like, the only time a man can be brave is when he's afraid. Sometimes, like, I, I don't know, like, that it's necessarily always bad to think that the crying is annoying, but, like, as people who live in a society and to demonstrate empathy, sometimes you just gotta be, like, as you were saying, you gotta show that understanding. Like, yeah, you might think it's annoying, but we show up for each other regardless, even though we feel bad about it, or being an adult is sometimes you just gotta manage your own feelings and be there for people anyway. I mean, not that they're adults. Four-year-olds start to learn empathy, right? Like, it really starts developing around three, four. So I don't also expect a nine-year-old, a seven-year-old, or a 12-year-old to have, like, immense understanding yeah. and empathy. So I guess that's fair, but... But I'm like, I... So I'm not a parent, right? But I, I don't know. I imagine if I had a kid, I'd be like, this is fucking annoying that they're crying. <laughs> but you still got to take care of it anyway. I don't know. Unfortunately, you kind of learn how to tune it out. It's like a certain frequency. You're like, really? you yeah, like I can. That's interesting, actually. Like I know if we're in public and I hear the the cry, I'm like, oh, that's my cry. 
Like, that's my response. Oh. But mm. if we're home and it's just like, ah, oh, my video game isn't working, I'm just, mm, turn mm. that down. Mm-hmm. My cat yeah. has one of those. I get it. I get it. My cat has a yell that, like, doesn't mean anything. It just means he's being annoying and wants me to throw a ball for him. Hmm. And I'm like, I can ignore that shit all day long. I'm not going to listen to you, bud bud. So the night is a sullen red and Arya realizes the barn is on fire, but not in a fun way. <laughs> Thought Pie tells Arya to leave the girl that Lamy's already gone. They have to move, but Gendry arrives in time, at least to hoist the girl on his shoulder and yell, run. In the flames, the animals are screaming and the trio of bad guys in the wagon are also screaming. Jockin calls to Arya, saying, sweet boy. Gendry ignores the three men and tells Arya to go first. Arya's like, where did you leave the axe? That axe you were splitting wood with. And Gendry's like, out by the haven? I'd rather save the donkeys than those men, though, if you're going to get the axe. And she's like, get the little girl. And then she goes outside. She sees men dying around her. She grabs the axe. And as she's grabbing it, a hand actually grabs her rather roughly which is almost like bookends her last chapter of Storm with the axe when you think about it. But she Mm. throws, spins around, drives the axe at his legs. Good for you. She runs back into the barn and smoke is pouring out and she gets super low to the ground. She smells burning hair. The roof's gone, burnt off. And she crawls toward the sound of screaming from Biter, throwing the axe inside of the wagon. And then she runs, coughing with the sound of steel beating behind her. She's like, good fucking luck. (laughs) <laughs> you you she's were like, weird <laughs> she's like I don't um, know figure it out <laughs> yeah it's your problem now which honestly that's good enough right Jamie was always like just give me a fucking sword I'll figure it out um, this moment kind of made me think this is like not necessarily important but I don't know I was just having a little little thought experiment of you know the what is the life of one bastard boy against the kingdom especially because we get mm-hmm. Edric this book um, and the decision of whether or not to save these three men in that context. Because Arya makes this choice, right, which is very nice of her to potentially endanger herself, right? She delays herself being able to get to safety, potentially even sacrificing herself for these, to save these three strangers, one of whom is a total weirdo. The two of whom are total weirdos. All of them are weirdos, never mind. And they are all decidedly guilty and wretched. Rorge is an asshole biter is very weird and scary. Um, I would say arguably Kant and like categorical imperative shit might say that the moral choices you have to save them from burning. But I think if you look back on it, kind of like utilitarian style, like when I think about the rest of the books, I'm like, damn, a lot less people would have died in this story though if she just let these people burn. And I mean, we wouldn't have gotten cool murder genie Jockin and Arya who escape from Harrenhal and who are definitely friends in my opinion. Um, but the people that Jockin killed would all be alive, but also, like, all these people that Rorge and Biter terrorized, and I know, I'm like, it just really makes you think. Brienne's face would, you know, be a little bit more whole. Yeah, that's true, that's true. Or less of a whole. Okay, but look at the first book. Okay, are we gonna argue what about killing Daenerys? Um. Robert, over here. I'm just kidding. Well, that's different. Wait, I know. Special. That's different. She's special. That's, like- <laughs> that's different. Danny's a POV character, first of all. <laughs> and she's, like, cool. <laughs> yeah. No, she she should live. She also helped save a bunch of other people, too. Mm-hmm. And I just think it's interesting, because Rorge and Biter, only one of those people was worth saving, in my opinion. Oh, yeah. 
Absolutely. But you can't just only save one. I mean, you could, but it would be really, really kind of nasty and be like, I'm slamming the door on you. Also, you can't pick, you know? Well, and it also comes to that great line, right? Men's lives have meaning, not their deaths. So Arya gave them a chance at life to see if they could make their lives have meaning and if there would be something they would do with their lives. Obviously, we learn Rorge and Biter do not do anything spectacular with their lives after this. Uh, but Jacquin proves very useful and, well... Too bad about little little weasel girl, but Great. weasels should live. I have a note that I left in like my phone from years ago, and I was like, "What does this mean?" And I was like, "What?" Ha-? Apparently, years ago, I was speculating what happens to weasel. <laughs> this should probably be in next chapter. And I was like, "Does she like run off, meet the wolves, become come back as like Princess Mononoke?" Anyway, I hope she comes <laughs> back. I do, but I don't think that we'd know. That's all. Um, uh, they'll reference it in the future. Like, someone's crying. It's like, oh, founder. Arya's return to the Riverlands. A small four-year-old girl sobbing. I know yeah. sobs. <laughs> Imagine with a time skip, she'd be like 10. And that's this girl now. That girl grew up to be Jane Heddle oh. within two weeks. How did that happen? <laughs> wow, she's like a Renesmee or whatever that <laughs> baby's name. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> which I've never like gotten to that part. I only watched the second movie out of this entire it's like storyline. Freaky looking. <laughs> only the second. How movie. have you only watched the second movie? Which, to be fair, that's probably one of my favorite of the four books. I've read them all. I was a, I was preteen in once. Okay, like I mean, it is Same. what it is. But I love New Moon of the four. I'm like New Moon and Breaking Dawn. Yeah, that's it. So I've only heard about Renesmee. Um. Ara, play us out. She rolls into the tunnel, dirt in her mouth, cool and dark. She begins to crawl. A dozen feet down the tunnel, she heard the sound, like the roar of some monstrous beast. In a cloud of hot smoke and black dust came billowing up behind her, smelling of hell. Arya held her breath and kissed the mud on the floor of the tunnel and cried, for whom she could not say. I will say the monstrous beast kind of reminds me of when they escape Winterfell. Oh, interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The wolves being like, oh, there was something in the smoke or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, because you think of like what Daenerys with the the shadows on the wall in her tent from the fire and the smoke and the light. That makes me think of that a little bit in the first book. Ooh. Yeah. (sighs) I love that last line. It's so sad. Ah. Yeah. Or could could it be like she heard... Again, like those wolf dreams, like she heard the roar of the wolves being like, you did it. You did good, kid. Mm, I love it. Either way, it's like such good prose. He's so good at that. He kills at all that. Yeah, I, I love that. Like if you imagine the kissing the mud when she finally gets in there on the floor of the tunnel, that cool, you know, that cool taste of ground and like that air that's very like earthy. I can smell it almost myself. So he does a great job of describing it. I remember reading the story of this one refugee woman when she got to safety. I remember she gets off the bus and she kisses the ground of the new place that she got to. There's that line, and this comes back to Bran in Bran 2, A Storm of Swords, one of my favorite chapters. When they talk about Howland, we often make fun of them saying he could run on leaves. uh, Because anyone can fucking run on leaves. But there is that line, he could breathe mud. Oh, and it makes me think I of Arya. No, I can't do that. But that makes me think of this line with Arya, and especially as we've talked about her kind of with some of those 
in the past couple chapters, some of those Children of the Forest-esque things and uh, makes you think of Howland, who's small and has a connection, is a seer in a way, and breathing mud. On a different note, it made me think also of, like, the blood. It's full of life, and there's all these animals living in it. And, you know, Barristan being like, oh, Daenerys should have chosen mud, you know, Quentin's mud, and he maybe he thinks he's, like, full of life and nurturing. I'm like, shut the fuck up. Let Daenerys... <laughs> Let Daenerys choose whoever the fuck she wants. God damn it. Like, Barristan, like, you stop have projecting. so much experience in that department. Right. Like, stop projecting, Barristan. Interesting, Barristan. Maybe your only crush yeah. also chose mud. Have you ever thought about that? Oh. Ooh. True. Interesting. Interesting. Yes, that is a quote that I know by heart due to a Shardane. Thank you. Yes. Yeah. Shut <laughs> like, the fuck up, Barristan. I'm like, you're quoting hashtag all of Hashara. my favorites. Yeah, Hashara is canon. Hashtag. 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 Uh, I love this very end in, you know, I've been reading The Expanse. As Eliana knows lately, I've been digging into The Expanse, and it was funny because there was a quote that was used in The Expanse that comes from poet Thomas Babington Macaulay, who has a great epic poem, Herodias, a long narrative ballad about Herodias Cocles. But he's a legendary hero from early Roman history, and famously, he says in the poem, To every man upon this earth, death cometh soon or late, and how can man die better than facing fearful odds for the ashes of his fathers and the temple of his gods. So, uh, long long story short, because it is a long-ass fucking poem, uh, <clears throat> it, it's about honor and dying for what you believe in, right? And we come back to that thought of Arya saving lives, but also condemning some lives by saving lives, right? And, and choosing not to just only save the little girl, but also the three men stuck in the wagon, even if their character isn't really indicative of being worthy to be saved, because who is Arya to speak for the gods, or who is Arya to judge what a life is worth that's not her job? Their father never told them, right? The man who passes the sentence should swing the sword. Arya didn't want to condemn them to death. She could not condemn them to death. She felt guilty to leave them there to die, because if you would be the person to decide it's time for that man to die, you should look them in the eye, hear their final words, right? And if you can't bear to do that, maybe they don't deserve to die. Arya wasn't ready to go in there and end their lives or to leave and end their lives the the right way. I'm not saying that you should just kill people. There's really not a right way to kill people. I guess pointy end. But, um, you know, it it's, wasn't for her to choose for people to die. And if she could save people, she chose to save people. And I think that's overall indicative of her character. She also is kind of going with Yorin's last words to her, which was essentially get everybody out. Yeah. Mm, get Anybody you could get out, get them out. And those three men are included because... Say they did make it to the wall, they would have become brothers of the Night's Watch, which Interesting. I could not imagine them at the wall. <laughs> I was like, I would not want them at the wall. Like, ew. Like, imagine. Oh, my God. It's actually my really poor- devastating because the other men were good of this group. Like, they'd all yeah. become a group, a good group. Yeah. Yeah. We needed those men, not these men. Yeah. I just think of, like, poor Sam. Imagine poor Samuel Tarly having to interact with Warge and Biter. Oh, my God. Oh. Like, ugh, awful. I was imagining your line of, imagine Rorge and Biter at the wall, and I'm, like, thinking of Rorge and Biter turning to each other and being like, imagine us at the wall. And be like... (laughs) Right, because no matter what, they were going to try to escape. Like, let's be fucking real. They weren't going to try to stick around, were they? Oh, no. Those men were not made for the wall, and they know it. 
Yeah, it, it kind of does like actually play along though, again, with Jamie, your other POV, right? Like when mm-hmm. Brienne has to make that call and be like, all right, fuck it. Yeah. He gets a sword now. I mean, I guess he kind of fought her. So maybe it wasn't exactly like that, but whatever. But he kept being like, you should free me. And she's like, no, I like I like our little kink. <laughs> or <laughs> you and Chains thing. I think Jamie likes it too. Oh my god, it's just like Clarissa Mao. Oh, Jamie definitely was into it. <laughs> Question and Ara, especially I want to hear from you, Eliana, you know, neutral on if I want to hear that. No, I'm just kidding. Of course, I want to hear from you. Who do you think is Jackin's number one on the kill list for? Like, what do you think oh, he's up to in Dang. Westeros since Arya gives him life? Yeah, I know. That's a big fucking question, Dang, right? Okay. What do you think he's after? Honestly, I'm not sure if it was necessarily a direct person to kill. Mm. But I think he, with infiltrating the wall, in my opinion, the person I would want to seek the most, like, out the most at the wall would be Eamon. Eamon's knowledge and wealth of knowledge was so extensive, especially, like, if you buy into the faceless men being part of, you know, the destruction Mm -hmm. of Valyria. And it's like, well, we got one dragon up north. I know he's old, but still smart. And that could... Come back to bite us in the butt at some point. Unfortunately, it does not because Eamon dies on the way to go see Daenerys, which is the worst thing in the world. <laughs> on the way to the faceless men, really, when you think about it. Exactly. He's going to go right to the Wow, Ara, it's making sense. Oh, my God. What about now that he's, like, technically in Old Town, right? What do you think? What do you think he's doing there? I think Citadel. Yeah. Go straight to this, the knowledge. Just learning more because it's like, you know what? You guys have different books over here. I'm going to go check your library. Yeah. So you think he's rogue. I like that. He's he's on a I think rogue. He wants a li- yeah. I think he just wants a universal library card. Hmm. Yeah, that's why you should really have free libraries for all. You're right. Westeros really needs to, I hope under good King Bran, he really brings that policy home. Less you know? people would die. I really hope. wish you didn't say that. Uh- <laughs> Less people would die if they could just go to the library instead of having to kill someone to get in, you know? Yeah, because, like, for me, like, besides obviously being assassins, one of the things with the faceless men we see in, like, Arya's training is observation, intelligence gathering, kind of like a little spy system, so I could see him being, like... CIA shit. I know people, like, think he's also looking for a specific book for the faceless men as well, because, yeah, I, I, I do think that they had a hand in the fall of Valyria, but, yeah, do you think he's looking for a specific book? I don't, I don't really know what Jockin's up to. I'm like, this is beyond me. It would make sense because if the specific book he's looking for has anything to do with, like, especially with Danny just waking yeah. dragons and that news spreading like wildfire, especially like in Essos. And I don't know what type of weird magic system that they probably have to communicate internationally with the faceless mm. men. I'm assuming they have a system in place, though, for some reason or another. Well, and they point. have like know. some books. I-, I think they I think one of the big theories is like Barth's book, right? Barth's dragon book mm-hmm. and possibly him looking for that because you know they do have they have a copy of lives of the four kings they have a partial collection of the fires of the freehold there's the locked vault right is said to contain the sole remaining copy of blood and fire which technically i want to say is the like death of the dragons book and it's like basically blood soaked scraps only surviving copy is supposed to be in a locked vault beneath the citadel so i'm curious if it could be that i don't think it's the only copy Oh. Uh-oh. I, I think Eamon has a copy. Like, I'm telling you guys, I have this oh, whole thing. I think Eamon. Actually, it's a theory on my video. Um, One of my old theory videos about Eamon being part of, like, a secret society. And then House of the Dragon came out. And I was like. Oh, yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Prince, that was promised. Like, all of it all comes together. That'd be great. Dragons and Night's Dark and Full of Terrors. Because he gave the Jame Compendium. 
Yeah. Yeah, I think he definitely has some, like, nice, like, volumes. Because I figure he's, like, 100 years old. True. So, like, he he's probably found some really cool books. And not only that, the library, like, when Sam goes through it, he's like, these there's, like, scrolls that are, like, thousands of years old. I'm like, so excited for T-Wow. Stop. Stop. I'm sorry. <laughs> I just, like, if I could go to a library, I'd want to go, if not to the Citadel, I would love to explore the library of Castle Black. Just because where they stay out of the affairs of the realm, mm-hmm. I feel like their, like, book supply didn't get as tampered. That's a good with. point. That and Danny's books, too. That stack oh, of books yeah. she got, I want to know more about. I wonder if there's anything in those books that we're going to find out. I don't know, maybe weird, like, Jorah propaganda. Um, I'm joking, I'm joking. All blonde girls should marry a Mormont. <laughs> Especially if they're hair. <laughs> yeah, Cass- and gross. Castle Black and the cold and temperatures would also be good for preserving preserving books as well. Books, bodies. Oh, you yeah, know, like so you don't have to taste it in the yeah. water. Oh my god. Exactly. <sighs> Ara. You're so fun. I'm so glad you're here to go through all this with us. Thank you for taking my um, my you know little question. I was just curious. I don't know what I think, but really <laughs> I think maybe spot. he's gone rogue, though. Well, you know, I wanted to see what was up in there. You know, what she was into, what she's oh. about. But I don't know. I think that the you're books. onto something that maybe he's looking for the books, right? Uh, but I'm wondering too: is he on a rogue mission now? Is he not doing something? Like, was he given something and instead he's trying to learn something? I don't know. I just don't know. Or maybe he's going to kill someone at the Citadel soon. Another someone, not just Pate, the pig boy. Oh, interesting. Because obviously he didn't kill Pate because he had to. He killed it because he had to. Like He didn't kill him because it was his assignment. He killed him because he needed his body to continue his assignment. Marwin. Oh, mm. yeah, Marwin. Marwin's Uh-oh. like a, a good... That ship sailed. Oh, I don't know about like, killing, but you know, yeah. knowledge. You were, you were saying, like, are they trying to get mm-hmm. a knowledge from him? One knowledge, please. They're like, all right, who's into magic? Who's left? I think that's that's where my brain's at. Because I like magic, and I like to think Jockin likes magic. Mm-hmm. I like to think of him as a magician from kids' parts. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, he wrote a book. He wrote the Book of Lost Books, you know? And we actually see uh, Roderick, the reader, reading that book. Jockin as... So. Wait, did you mean Jockin, right? As the... At kids' parties or Marwin? No, I meant okay, Jockin. Yeah. yeah, sorry. I meant Jockin was a magician. Marwin, too. They're both magicians. But he's like... I think Marwin's like the magician from Vegas, but, like, jocking just goes to kids' parties and does, like, rabbits out of the hat and, like, basic Job. stuff. Job, yeah. He is like Job, isn't he? No, I'm joking. <laughs> Job and Hagar. He's, um, it's Rick and Morty, you know? We just need to get Sam with Marwin. Marwin is straight up Rick. Yeah, essentially. One day, mm-hmm. one day. That one, uh, hash, shout, shout out to poor Quentin on that. That's really his. Ah. Truly, my roommate, poor Quentin. He's always seen Marwin as Rick, you know? I can see that. I could definitely see it because they're really smart. But they're also, like, assholes to the highest degree. Like every other word, yeah. <laughs> every other word, he's just puking. And burping a little bit. Like, I can, I can see it. My God. Ara, thank you for joining us. I want you to tell us what's coming up in new yeah. for you, whether with Direwolf City, if you guys are doing anything coming up, or with your YouTube channel, what's coming up soon, and all the other places we can find you. Yes, so for Direwolf City, that's uh, TBD. There's a lot going on behind the scenes, guys. But anyways, I can speak to what I do know, which is my channel for Zebra. I've been on a little hiatus. You know, there is a writer's strike. I'm not a part of the WGA, but like, 
I want to be one day, maybe. In the meantime, I do plan on covering some more Hunger Games stuff because Ooh. we have a movie coming out in November Ooh. for Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes. So that's been on my docket. I do have a couple little outlier Yellow Jackets theories. And actually talking about this magic stuff, I should probably revisit my very shaky old outline on my big tree system theory regarding the magic in yeah. Westeros that I kind of lightly touched upon here. It has inspired me. I might have to go back to my notes. Just might. Do it. Please. I would love to be able to link that whenever it's done. Tell us. Please, please. Yeah. I haven't read that that um, specific Hunger Games book, but the movie looks good. Amazing. Do it. Do it. It's actually really good. I mean, I really liked the Hunger I like Games. It. I really like it. So. I've reread it fairly recently, and I planned on rereading it again right before the film drops. But I figure not a lot of people have like read the books yet, and with the movie coming out, want to you know provide some context for people yeah. out there yeah i'm really excited for it i read it on the on a whim that handful of months ago and me and you were very excited when the trailer came out i was so oh excited. my god freaking out that oh my god the costumes in that movie look so good already I, and i have to say back to our euphoria home girl hunter schaefer looks amazing as tigris amazing uh hunter schaefer's it. character is gonna be a great character oh yeah that character poster they released recently with mother hunter and that like pink like matching power skirt set i loved it she's everything to me she's barbie we're all just (laughs) ten. did you literally did you see by nonica um because some people were like which targaryens are they and by nonica's like these are lannisters because but it it is kind of funny because by nonica also pointed out like usually i do think of hunter schaefer as being targaryen coded but in that poster and in that specific role she does look very lannistery yeah, I would like to say that I had actually commented with Bidonica about it, and I will say that La- to tell the difference between a Lannister and Targaryen in your brain when fan casting, one uses purple toning shampoo, and the other wants to be brassy, and that's how you're going to figure it out every time. And these two, girl, they're brassy. They look so brassy that's in these photos. So, so accurate, mm-hmm. even though they should be using purple shampoo. Right, you would think Cersei would be all over it, but no. Lannisters are brassy and bossy, Targaryens are purple toner. That's knowledge for you guys right there. Some knowledge you can only get on Girls Gone Canon. But yes, thank you, Ara. Where can the people find you once more? And I know you've told us some of what you're up to, and um, I'm excited. I'm excited for those. Yeah, you can find me on all socials at I Eat Zebra. All one word is not part of the name. I'm just saying I Eat Zebra is just one full word yes. together. <laughs> so yeah i'm not that creative and i just like to make things easy for myself so it's the same on all platforms hey that's smart it's not laziness or not creativity it's smart because i wish i had flatlined all my media you're a smart cookie yeah i just was like nah, i don't feel like thinking something else this works so i'm gonna take it with me <laughs> way easier way easier you're branded consistently sister i love it oh branding well Thank you again for joining us. To everyone at home listening, you can catch us next week with Aria 5. And Ara is the first of many wonderful guests we hope to bring on for Aria. So we couldn't have asked to break it in with anyone better. She's leading the pack. Now we are... She's leading the pack. She is. She absolutely is. Yay. Now, before we let our sponsors, who are our patrons, lead us out today... Eliana, once more, can you tell everyone at home where they can send their pet photos, their quips, their witty quippicisms, uh, you name it. Yeah, you can find us on Girls Gone Canon, that's C-A-N-O-N, over on Twitter or on Blue Sky. 
Or you can email us at girlsgonecanon at gmail.com. Yeah. And now for a word from our sponsors, who will lead us out and tell you where to find us on the web. Make sure you go to patreon.com slash girlsgonecanon if you do want to support and sponsor these episodes. You can catch Girls Gone Canon on any of the following streamers. On Podbean, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Acast, Spotify, Overcast, Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Audible, and Amazon Podcasts. You can also join us on Patreon, where if you join the Thunder tier or above, you have access to a Discord and monthly happy hours and things like that. And by joining the Discord, you get access to a bunch of great channels, including but not limited to memes and shit posting channel, Fashion Hour. There are multiple channels for historic materials, A Song of Ice and Fire. There's a Pets channel, which I think is probably the most important channel of all. Respectful Thirsting, because there's a channel for that. Come by, join the community. It's a lot of fun, and you won't regret it. Thank you again to our patrons. As always, I have been one of your hosts, Chloe. And I have been another one of your hosts, Eliana. And thank you. And I've been the other other yes. horse. <laughs> I'm like the other other host. Ara. Ara's like, I'm leading into the into the horse face aspect of Arya today. I'm leaning into this yes. Arya name. Arya the OG horse girl. Um. Thanks, guys. We'll see you next week. Or hear you. Or you'll hear us. Oh, my God. No one knows. Thank you. That made me so happy. <laughs> Your horse? No, no. The, the I, other other host. that She just came in with it. I was so happy. She was ready. I know. She was so ready Are for that. Are you ready? Oh, so my God. Are you ready? <sighs> Not today. Uh, goodbye. Bye, folks. <laughs>